Would you like to turn to Hebrews chapter 3? We've been looking at Hebrews when I've been speaking for probably several months now. Um, We started looking at Hebrews chapter 3 last time. We're going to continue and go through to the end of chapter 3 this time. Uh, So I'll kick off and I'll read it. We're going to read the whole chapter. So Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, the letter to the Hebrews, as we've already seen, primarily written to Jews who had turned to Christ. They turned to the Messiah. They'd seen, yes, Jesus is the one. And the writers emphasized through the first couple of chapters the awesome truth of the gospel. That Jesus, the Son of God, has come. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in many ways, but these last days he's spoken to us by his Son. The one who is, in verse 3, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. This is Jesus. He's also superior to the angels who are God's servants, and yet, into chapter 2, verse 14, he shared in our humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And a bit previous in chapter 2, he suffered death. That by the grace of God, he might suffer death for everyone. And in the next verse, and bring many sons to glory. It's glorious truth. It's glorious truth for them to hear. It's glorious truth for us to hear. In short, it's as... 
Many of you will have seen Fillmore's Straight to the Heart series. And on the cover of the James and Hebrews version, he puts this. It's a summary. Something far greater has come. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. They've come through. Moses. There's all this stuff through the Old Testament. God's building up. Jesus has come. Jesus has come. Something far greater. But already in these first couple of chapters... We've seen a warning, a bit of an exhortation. Chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. And now, after zooming in on this comparison of Jesus and Moses that we looked at last time, and we've just read again, Moses, he was great. Moses was amazing. But Jesus is so much greater. Like a son is greater than a servant. Like the builder is greater than a part of the building. And Moses, he pointed to Jesus. Testifying to what would be said in the future. After that, he comes to this. It's another warning. It's an exhortation. In some ways, it can sound a bit heavy. It can sound a bit scary. We, his church, if we hold on to the end... See to it that you don't have sinful, unbelieving hearts. He's talking about the Israelites in the rebellion. Maybe it can even seem confusing. We can get a bit tied up in knots and think, oh, what's it meaning? Does it mean that we're not secure in Christ? He, has he saved us or hasn't he saved us? Are we going to fall away? What, what, do we have to do stuff? Are we, is, it, is it for us to earn our way in? But he's exhorting him. Look. Not exhorting them. Look. Look, something far greater has come. Look at it this way. This is so awesome. This is so important. This is such amazing grace. Our secure, wonderful hope in Christ. Something far greater than what had come before. Therefore, believe him. Believe him. Don't turn back. Don't even go there. Don't even think about it. Hold on to your confidence. Because in, in the time of the Hebrews, the likelihood was that they were under pressure of persecution from, from the, very, the Jews who probably used to be their friends. The ones who they were with. They were going to synagogue together. They were, they were, they were part of a body together. Yet now they say, no, we've seen the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. They say, what are you doing? Where are you going? You're abandoning Moses. What are you doing? Where are you going? There was pressure on. The pressure was, perhaps we should just go back. Perhaps we should just go back to the synagogue. Maybe even we could kind of compromise and we could be with Jesus. We could go back to the synagogue as well. No. Holy brothers, fix your thoughts on Jesus. He is superior. He's the one Moses pointed to. Don't go back to the law. So we're going to look at this passage, look at this warning, look at what it points back to, and then we're going to get quickly into what it means for us. Okay, so verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says. And then he quotes from Psalm 95. So as the Holy Spirit says. A quick aside here. God speaks through his words. God speaks through his words. The Holy Spirit says, 
and he quotes Psalm 95. What, isn't that just what David said once upon a time? Isn't that just an example? Well, it, yeah, it's good. It's, it, it's there. It's an example from the past. No, we know. This is his word. This is his word. It's spoken. It's God-breathed. And as the writer in Hebrews goes on to say at the end of chapter 4, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. God is speaking through his word. Listen to him. Hear him. This is the Holy Spirit speaking. It's not just some example. Oh, once upon a time, David said. Now look, listen to what God is saying to you. Listen to what God is saying here. God is speaking to them and to us now. The Psalm 95 was probably very well known to them. It was a well-used psalm in the synagogues. It was a psalm of praise. A wonderful psalm of praise. If we look at the beginning of Psalm 95, we see that. Psalm 95 verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God. The great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And only then it comes to today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, though they'd seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation and I said, there are people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Wonderful praise. Then if you hear him, don't harden your hearts. And what's it referring back to? It's kind of, the writer of the Hebrews refers back to David and he's referring back even further again. We've done this before in Hebrews. This time it's back to the Exodus. It's back to what the psalmist calls Meribah, Massa. That was, a, that was a particular time. That was a particular time at a place called Rephidim where the people grumbled against God. Moses and well, God provided water from a rock when Moses uh, and Moses had to... Anyway, God provided water from the rock. But more generally, as the writers of the Hebrews translate it, it's talking about the rebellion in the desert. The rebellion in the desert. That's what Massa and Meribah means. Meribah and Massa means rebellion and time of testing. It's referring back to how they tested God in the desert. How they didn't believe him. Ultimately, at Kadesh in the desert of Paran in Numbers 13 and 14, on the border of the Promised Land, it's a well-known story, they get there and they send out spies into the land. They send the 12 spies out and they go and they scout it out. They come back with this massive bunch of grapes carried on a pole between two men. They're taking all this fruit out. They've got all this stuff. Caleb and Joshua are like, it's amazing, let's go, let's get in there. We can take the land. This is what God's provided for us. Let's go. The other guys are a bit, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. But the people are a bit big. 
and the cities are pretty strong. You know what, guys? We can't do it. We can't do it. We can't take this land. These people, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. What? And the people listen. The people listen and there's weeping and grumbling. And then in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 2, they're weeping and grumbling, thinking, what on earth is going on here? In verse 2, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children would be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Caleb and Joshua respond a couple of verses later. They're like, guys, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And will give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't be afraid of the people of the land. Because he, we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the people don't listen. The people don't listen. No, no, we, we should go back to Egypt. We should go back. We should go back. We can't do this. What? Ultimately, the people don't believe God. So why is he quoting this? Why is he looking back at Psalm 95? The Israelites turned back, revealing their unbelieving hearts. And specifically, the writer is exhorting the people, don't go back to the synagogue. Don't turn back. Don't even consider it. Look at it. See the parallel here. Oh, if only we stayed in Egypt. What? If only you stayed in Egypt, in slavery, in oppression, in misery. If only we'd stayed in Egypt. Oh. No. God had brought them all out of that. Amazing miracles. They'd seen, they put the blood on the doors and God had passed over. They'd come through the Red Sea. God had provided water for them and food for them and water again and more food and everything along the way. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us in. Don't be afraid. God is with us. But they're deceived. They're afraid. And they don't believe. For the readers, turning back to the law may have seemed appealing. It might have done. If they were being pressured hard by, possibly by the Romans, because this new, what's this new thing? That, oh, it's a bit of a funny new religion. Or by their Jewish contemporaries. No, why, why, why have you abandoned the faith? It would have been tempting. It would have been tempting. But the writer's saying, Do you see how crazy it would be? How crazy it would be to go back? As crazy as this, oh, if only we'd stayed in Egypt. Look at what you have come into. Look at it. He's really pressing it, pressing it home. Look at what it is you have now received. Jesus. Jesus, the one who Moses pointed to, he has saved you. He has brought you in. That's why he says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart 
that says, maybe we should go back. No. What's the, what's the alternative? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Hold on to your courage and your hope. What he's saying is, we have our wonderful, secure hope in him. But don't be deceived by sin. Don't be deceived by fear. Don't be deceived into thinking, this might seem like a good plan. I know, we could just compromise a bit. Or, this might seem like a good plan. They're really attacking us, and maybe we should just go along with them. Don't listen to those thoughts. Don't entertain them. He's saying, in the face of these trials, where is your hope? Where is it? Where it should be? Where he's saying, where, where are you going to put it? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. He is our hope. Believe him. Psalm 95 may have been another reminder to them in a way, and we just read it, it's wonderful praise. It's wonderful praise, come before God. It's wonderful praise, but then do you believe? Do you actually believe him? You come before him, you're, you're saying, yes, this is what I want, but actually, in your heart, is this what you are holding on to? Is this what you're believing in? Do you believe him? So for them, it was a clear thing. Don't go back to the Lord. Don't do it. Don't do it. But for us, what do we see? We do see what seems like a stark warning. It was designed originally as a wake-up call. A don't go there call. A look at all this stuff in the previous chapters. Look at it. Look at how amazing it is. Believe it. Believe it. The writers of the Hebrews is clear that it's an exhortation. It's clear that he's exhorting them to press on, to carry on. He says that all right at the end of his letter in Hebrews chapter 13. The whole letter, in a sense, is a big exhortation to the Hebrews brothers. Hebrews 13, 22, brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written you only a short letter at the end of 13 chapters. But I believe for us, God would have us hear this. As the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but respond to him. Then these things, do not be fearful, believe him. Do not be deceived. Do not be complacent. Believe him. Do not forget what it is that you've been brought into. Put your trust in him. Hold on with confidence to the wonderful, secure hope that we have in Christ. Okay, firstly, do not be fearful. As I've said, that. The writer was writing to the Hebrews in a time that was probably testing. It was probably, there was probably persecution. It was hard. It was tough. He's writing this out of fear that they could turn back or compromise or fall away. He reminds them the Israelites in the wilderness, they were fearful. They could see there, there's, there's tough stuff ahead. Can we really do this? Can we really believe God for this? But they respond in fear and not faith. But the author wants to remind us, it's an exhortation, but it's an encouragement. 
The passage is an exhortation, but it's an encouragement. Look, actually, what is he saying for them to do? Hold on to your, our courage and the hope of which we boast. What's he asking them to do? Hold on to the hope. Hold on. What is our hope? What is it that we're hoping in? Jesus. Jesus. In Jesus, we have a secure hope. Just one of a number of passages that would talk into this Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The writer's been clear. This is Jesus. This is what he has done. This is what he has brought us into. He has done it. He has made the way. He has saved us. Whatever we face, we can trust him. He is so much bigger. He is so much greater. Looking back to the the Israelites in the desert, God had promised to bring the people out of Egypt. He promised to bring them into a land of their own. He had promised it. He would do it. They needed to trust him. So in hearing it, but in a sense in hearing this, we can hear the exhortation we can know God, he's the one, he's stronger, he's, he's saved us, he's done it. We can hear the exhortation and think, actually, is the writer to the Hebrews on the same page? Is he actually? They think, well, Paul's saying nothing can separate us. Is the writer to the Hebrews saying something different? Oh, you've got to hold on, you've got to keep going. No, he's in complete agreement. In chapter 7, verse 25 in Hebrews, look, who is it? Jesus, the one who therefore... 7 verse 25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. It's him. Jesus is the one. Jesus can do it. Jesus has done it. We're secure in him. So his point is, you have a secure hope. Look at what it is. Look at it. Hold on to it. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your thoughts on him. He is so much bigger In every circumstance of life, we can face things and we can think there are mountains in our way. We can think there are mountains at all. Mount Everest is 8,848 metres tall. There we are, apparently. That was off a website. Things may vary by slight amounts. The deepest ocean trench is apparently 11 kilometres deep below sea level. There are mountains and troughs and hills and... People living in Sheffield know this. The earth is not flat... Not only is it round, but it's also bumpy. 
There are big things, big, big heights and lows. But if you could shrink the earth down into your hand to the size of a snooker ball, it would meet the standards of the World Billiard Association for smoothness. Do you realise? Mount Everest is nine kilometres up in the air. This trench is 11 kilometres deep. There's bumps and humps everywhere. If you had the earth, the earth is so much bigger than those mountains that, yeah, okay, maybe you'd feel a little something, maybe. I don't know. I don't even know if you'd feel anything. But it would be effectively smooth. Whatever we face, in whatever situation, hold on to your courage and the hope of which we boast. He is so much bigger. He is so much greater. He is so much stronger. And he has done it. And as 2 Peter 1.3 says, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has done it. He's given us what we need. He's enabling us. He's holding us. He's sec- we are secure in him. Fix your thoughts on him. We can get scared by the if we hold on to our courage, but look at the promise. We are his house. We are his house. We are what he's building. Yes, this is the evidence of it, that we would remain in him. We would stay with him. We would keep going. Look at what he's done. Then secondly, do not be deceived. Do not be complacent. Do not kind of slip into this wrong attitude. We can get that. We're secure. He's done it. Okay then, back to sleep. No. No. I've ticked that box. I've joined that club. So I'll go and have a kip. No. All through these first couple of chapters. Chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay more careful attention. 3, verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. 3, verse 12, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. 3, verse 14, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first, we are being exhorted to press on in him. And this... He looks at the Israelites and then he says, who were they who heard and rebelled? This is verse 16. Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? What is he saying? And don't fall into the trap of thinking, I've ticked that box. I come along, I'm here. Yeah, I think I believe that. Do we believe in him? Is our trust in him? Are we following Jesus? The writer's saying, don't go there with any kind of attitude like this that says, well, we're under a bit of pressure, so we could compromise and go back here and do this and that, and we could do both. We could do something like this. Or, I'm just really scared by this. I can't stand up. Surely God can't get me through this. No, no. Don't go there with those attitudes. Don't go there. Or even 
But surely, oh, it's okay, there's grace. There is. Hallelujah. There is abundant, amazing, wonderful grace. You see, we don't want our hearts to be in an attitude of, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, I've ticked the box. I believe Jesus. Do we believe him? Do we believe him? What does it mean? Do we believe him? Or are we kind of saying we've ticked a box? I thought of it like this. I could get given a ticket to, I was going to say a football match. I I think I said a football match. Football match. Between two teams I've, well, maybe I shouldn't have done this. A ticket to a band, a band I've never heard of. That's probably more likely. Football teams, I probably would have heard of them. A band I've never heard of. Oh, come, come with me to this concert. I've got a ticket. I've got a ticket. I'm in. I'm in. I have access. Well, I'll put that on a shelf. Forget about it. It's in about a month's time. Right. Oh, yeah, I think I've got a ticket for that gig somewhere. Yeah. I don't know who they are. What? I don't know what it is. I don't... Friend, you come in. You come to... Oh, yeah, oh, I've got to find that ticket. Where... It, Salvation is not a ticket, just some kind of magic golden ticket that we can say we've ticked the box, put it on the shelf and go on with whatever we thought we wanted to do. It's not that it's... Salvation, we're brought into relationship with God. We're brought into his kingdom. We're brought into a life with him. It's not a ticket we can put on the shelf and say, well, I'll go off and try this now. No. No, how could we have that attitude? How could we? The, the author's saying, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't, how could we have any other attitude other than, I want to press on with him. I want to press on with him. I don't want to treat it as a ticket that I just put on the shelf. I want to know everything about him. I want to know him more. I want to be overwhelmed by him. Terry Virgo quoted us on Facebook this week. Don't pay lip service to grace. We're saved by grace. We're brought in to him. It's all by what he's done. But an authentic response is to be overwhelmed. A holy God bothers with you, loves and died for you. You see, the Israelites in the desert, their hearts revealed, their their response revealed where their hearts were at. They just didn't believe. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe God. So we're encouraged today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Come back to him. Come to him. Come back to that secure hope in Christ. But what does it say? As long as, in verse 13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's it. Sin is deceitful. I think Rachel referred to this earlier. The devil would love us to slip into these places. Fearful, can God really see me through? Can I really trust him in this? Or complacent, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter. I've, I've fallen, but well, I can't really get up. I'll just keep, I'm, I'm kind of doing this and I'll just have to keep going. No, no. 
The devil would love us to kind of slip into that hardening of hearts kind of position of, oh, well, I don't really know what can happen now. I don't, uh, well, I've done it again. I'm still going. No. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Turn back to him. Respond to him. Fix your thoughts on him. So what do we do? Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. We hold on to our hope and our courage. We see to it, we hold on, we press on, we fix our thoughts on him. We remember what it is that he has done. Remember what it is that he has brought us into. We remember, first and foremost, that he is our hope. What do we see, even in these chapters of Hebrews so far? We see that Jesus is the Son of God. We see that Jesus is the one who tasted death that we may not. We see that Jesus is the one that brings many sons to glory. And we see that he reigns. He is seated on the throne. He is crowned with glory and honour. What we see is we have a sure hope in him. He's brought us into grace. We're saved, we're added, we're forgiven. If we know him, and we have eternal life. But ultimately, I was reading in this Michael Reeves book, Christ Our Life. He's looking at all these things that our hope is. All these things that we're brought into. And he says this. He's talked about all those things, about eternal life, about being forgiven, about being saved. But what is it? More than anything else. Improving everything else, our hope is to be with Christ. Job longed for new flesh in which he would see God, and our hope is to be like Christ. Like him in his beautiful character, like him in his glorious resurrection body, like him in his beloved status before the Father. And what does he say? No eternal life and no paradise could satisfy the hearts and minds of those who know Jesus if it meant we could not have him and be like him. We press in to him. Press in to Jesus. How do we do that? We do that in worship. Psalm 95, great praise, psalm of praise. Let's come to our rock. We praise him. We get into the word of God. We get, we know him. See the word of, the God, word of God is living and active. Let's feed on it. Let's be drawn to him. Fix our thoughts on him. And we pray. It's not rocket science. It's those standard, they're almost standard answers. We worship. We get into the word and we pray, but it is the truth. This is what we do. This is what we want to know Jesus. We want to be like him. We want to be with him. But particularly, what does it say? What should we do? Verse 13, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. He's saying today, if you hear his voice. So as long as it's called today, any time, every day, until the end comes. As long as it's called today, encourage one another. What's he saying? We're in this together. We're a family. We're brought in to being God's church together so we spur one another on encourage one another 
As we said before, we can, we can get into the word, but we can hear the word. We can bring the word for each other. We can encourage one another with the word. We can encourage one another by hearing God for them. We can pray. But I think ultimately this, don't assume that they must be okay. Don't assume, I felt God say that don't assume that, so, that everyone else must be okay. Don't assume that Rich is okay because he's up the front preaching. Don't assume that Tom and Kirsten are fine because they were in the band today. Don't assume that the ones who are stewards are fine because they're doing a job. Don't assume, well, they've been around for ages, so they must be doing fine. We don't assume that they're not doing fine either, but we, we get alongside one another. We want to encourage one another. Keep pressing on with God. Keep going. Are you fixed on him? Is your thoughts fixed on him in everything? Are you believe- yeah, that's, that's really tough, but are you believing God in that? <clears throat> and so as we close, today if you hear his voice, that's the, the kind of, the big line of this, but today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the author's saying, don't go there, believe in God. I'd say if you hear him today, do not brush it off. That's the thing, do not be deceived. That's what sin is trying to do. Trying to just get hold of us and say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. How have I got here? What happened there? Hear him today. That may be in various ways. That may be specifically come to him and believe him. The passage starts, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling. And you may be sat there thinking, I know, that that isn't even me yet. You know, you're not, you don't know him. You're not in Christ. You haven't believed in Jesus. What then? Do you ignore this? Because that's who it's addressing. No. Today, today, respond to him. I would encourage you, he is calling you. And if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. You can. Now, maybe tomorrow. Maybe I'll come back again. Maybe I'll just take some more time to think. I would encourage you, come today. He is amazing. He has done everything. He died in our place. He has taken our sin. Come to him. For some, it may be a specific sense of needing to deal with sin. God is prompting a particular issue. Maybe something you thought. Maybe something you've thought. Oh, I'm, I can deal with that. It's okay. It doesn't matter. I can carry on. I'm. I'm. It's not going anywhere. It's all right. Maybe you know it matters, but you haven't dealt with it, and you just you're in fear of thinking. What? Maybe as Rachel was saying earlier. You're thinking, don't let sin lie to you in saying, you're stuck now. No. Come to him. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In chapter 12, Hebrews goes on to say, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's throw it off today. For some, you need to deal with fear. Don't let fear grow and take hold of you. Don't be deceived. He is bigger. He is greater. I can't do it, but I know you can, God. 
probably for all of us, there's a call to press in to him. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Psalm 95 says, come let us sing to the Lord, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's press into him. To declare today, I, I hear you God, I'm pressing into you. Whatever comes, I'm standing firm in you. I believe you. I believe specifically, last thing, if you're going to fusion, if you're going to fusion, if you're going to New Day, fusion, if you're going to New Day, anyone who's going to New Day, tomorrow or today, Tom, I noticed you were thinking about putting your hand up and you knew that you were going down today, so it was a bit tricky when Dan said you're going to New Day tomorrow. We're going to New Day, New Day starts tomorrow. I believe God would say, don't wait. Don't wait. Today, if you hear his voice. It's easy to say, well, I'll wait, I'll get to New Day. It'll be great, it'll be amazing, God will speak to me in amazing ways. I pray that he will. I pray that he will speak in incredible ways to all of us at New Day. But today, if you hear his voice, get sorted, get it sorted, get it done. I know God's prompted me on this, but I could just wait till New Day. No, today. Hear him now and respond. Let's pray.